This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. From Joy 94.9 in Melbourne, I'm Stephanie Longmuir and you're on Dying to Tell, a podcast series where we explore end of life and death in a frank and honest way. For all of us, the experience of grief and loss can be really hard to explain. This is especially true for young people who may be experiencing these feelings for the first time. On this episode of Dying to Tell, we're taking a look at technology and tools that can help. We meet Ivor Williams from the Helix Centre in London and talk about Cove, an incredible app that captures your mood or expresses how you feel by making and storing music. We then chat with Dr Dawn Gross about Go Wish, a card game that can encourage conversations about what really is important. That's coming up on Dying to Tell. On the 7th of December last year, I attended the inaugural Endwell Symposium in San Francisco. Endwell is a movement with a mission to transform our relationship with dying and living. Endwell does this by bringing together design, technology, health, policy and activist initiative and expertise. During this one-day symposium, I heard from 27 speakers, some of them doctors, advocates, policy strategists, a Buddhist teacher, nurses, professors, writers, filmmakers, entrepreneurs, economists, designers and an ambient electronic musician. It was a mind-blowing day. The next day, I was fortunate to spend time with two of my favourites. This first interview is with Ivor Williams, Senior Design Associate at the Helix Centre, founder of the research and consultancy group Being and Dying, and co-founder of Humane Engineering. Let's have a listen to what Ivor has to say first about Helix and then about the app that Humane Engineering has developed. Um, so the Helix Centre is a design studio um, and what's interesting is that we are founded by the Imperial College in London which is one of the biggest kind of research universities in the world but um, we're embedded in a hospital, uh, St Mary's Hospital in Paddington so it's a large teaching hospital um, and the kind of real goal uh, of the Helix was to place designers right into the middle of the clinical environment to, to, to work with clinicians and academics and researchers and policymakers to see how we could really help transform healthcare uh, across the board. So we do lots of different projects, but end-of-life care is one of our main uh, focus areas. We were talking yesterday about humane engineering. Mm. Can you explain what that is? Mm. So that was like... Uh, 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 came out a project that my friend Alex and I had a couple of years ago where we were looking at how technology is used for, for good and some poor uses, especially among young people. Um, you know, it's like a given fact that technology and young people are like, you know, peas in a pod. Um, but we just kind of felt that there wasn't, there wasn't really kind of responsible uses of technology. Uh, like cyberbullying being a really obvious example of how young people can have the thing that they care about twisted against them. And so we kind of wanted to see like what would be a better use of technology. And we really were focusing on our own experiences of losing friends when we were younger to think about, oh God, how would we handle Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat now, you know? Well, you told that amazing story about 
the um, Facebook fo- post yeah. and the selfies. Yeah. Explain that because I, I mean I hadn't I hadn't seen that before. Yeah. And I, that was I a- mean, so I think it was 2013. Now there's this weird phenomenon of um, young kids, you know, guys and girls across the world taking selfies at funerals. So they'd be like, you know, in dress up in like the shirt and tie or dress and black shirts and dresses and stuff. They'd be doing these sort of poses in the background. They might have like a coffin in the background or they'd just be like at the funeral service themselves and like little hashtags like, you know, hashtag miss you, granny or whatever. And like, it was amazing because it was like, whoa, like this is like totally unexpected. No one thought this would happen. And there was a huge mixed reaction like, oh my God, kids are really terrible. And some people are like, well, you know, it's what would you expect, you know? And I, I was in the camp of, yeah, you know, kids are just using what they, they know, which is their smartphone. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I really related to that when you were telling that story because leading funeral services, you know, three to five days a week, people often have their smartphones out, they're recording, they're recording the service, they're taking photos, you know, open coffins, taking photos of the deceased. It is just what we do in 2017. It's, you know, like we take photos everywhere. We record everything. And it's just an extension of that. And the funeral is not a a sacred place. It's it's just another place. Yeah, it's like we forget this kind of stuff. I mean, the Victorians were absolute pioneers of this kind of stuff. They would take photos of their dead children and have it in their house. And they would pose with them and all this kind of stuff. And it's like... You know, it's a way of sense making. It's like, how do I make sense of what the hell just happened? Yes. And like using this phone is a way of like going, okay, this is happening. It's going to happen. I'm going to hold on to this memory. My memory might fade, but this is, I'm going to hold on to it. Yeah. And I think it's a normal reaction. Now we can consider like, uh, do these things create healthy reactions or unhealthy reactions? And that's a different sort of question. And I think for us, it was like um, the, 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 the experience of, you know, uh, grief and moving into bereavement and the experience of loss is, you know, they're very different things and, and they're not kind of fixed things at all. And I think for young people, um, and we, and when we, basically this was, this is our sort of, this was our intuitive kind of design-led inter- understanding of it, but with the Helix and human engineering, we really kind of look at the evidence and try and build on what is, you know, known to be true kind of scientifically and sociologically, like for young people, who don't get the right support through their, their, their grief and their bereavement can lead to some serious mental health problems yeah, later absolutely. on. Yeah, absolutely. It seems kind of obvious, but like, it's really a big problem. So our mission with Humane Engineering is to build a product that allows young people to, to adequately or hopefully adequately kind of support themselves through their, their bereavement by using music as a way of, of supporting themselves. And this leads us into Cove. Mm. Tell, tell me about Cove <laughs> because it is an, a really extraordinary um, concept so what was really interesting is that music therapy has been uh, has been found to be one of the best forms of uh, uh, therapeutic support for young people um, basically because music is non-verbal uh, it's like you don't need to have any particular skills in, in, in having to make music um, and and it's this idea of making music with other people and this sort of communication you can have through music is so powerful it's like it's at the root of a human like the human spirit mm. uh, and so we were like how can we use this and how can we moreover how can we use it in a way which is going to be really normal and everyday for young people which is basically putting in a smartphone so Cove is a music maker where you can kind of make music that really kind of captures and expresses your emotion. Um, and you can kind of basically hold that into a journal. You can create like a journal where you can reflect on things. You can share that music with your friends. And it's been really successful 
and what I think is really exciting is that there's a whole thing into what we call digital mental health about how we can better kind of expand the services for young people and, and for adults for, for mental health problems using technology. And, and Cove taps into this idea that you know, music has incredible, incredible power to, to, to be therapeutic in a way which you know, writing or talking can't be. So we really think that um, it can have a great effect on young people and, and adults um, to the fact that the NHS supports us uh, and we're, we're finding that you know, doctors and GPs are, are, are wanting to prescribe it and give it to young people who need that support when they've lost someone because bereavement support in the UK is very patchy. And I'm sure it's true in most other countries as well. Is getting that access to the right sort of person when you've lost someone is hard to do and you often don't feel confident enough to do it. So Cove acts as a sort of bridge between knowing that something really terrible has happened and wanting to try and find the help and maybe trying to help yourself do something. So let's say I'm a teenager and I go and see my GP and I'm really struggling. You know, I've lost someone significant in my life. Mm. What will the GP suggest with Cove? How, I mean, how will they... Mm prescribe it really mm. so like this is true because when we've spoken to gps like people have come out to us and said look i've got lots of young people who have experienced loss you know london has you know a very diverse population where where we live and um you know lots of people lose people for lots of different reasons and this, for example one gp came to me she said you know, I have these kids who've experienced loss, and again, loss isn't just necessarily your parent. You know, no, it can be any number of things. It yeah. can be loss of a relationship when you're young. It can yeah. be loss of a pet. Like all these things yeah. are life changing when you're young. Loss of a home. Loss Absolutely. Of a school, loss yeah. Of, yeah there's, there's, these things can have huge yeah. impacts, and so they recognise that, yeah. uh, and they say, okay, it's going to take you three months before we can show you get you to a professional. We can put you onto some some cognitive behaviour therapy if that's right for you. We can talk about talking therapy if that's right for you. You know, therapy uh, kind of pharmaceutical therapy is not really correct for this. This is you know, no. loss is a natural part yes. of life. Yes. Uh, let's not like medicate that. No. You know, that's the worst thing. And and just applying a process, and this is what I find with, with funerals, is that when you sit down with people and start organising things and start looking at music and photos and putting together audio visuals, and, you know, it's the process often that helps with the grieving yeah. because it, it gives you a platform mm. for your grief and, and a, a way to kind of move through it. And you've got to move through it. You can't, yeah. as you say, you can't suppress it with, with medication. It's yeah. got to be kind yeah. of lived. Yeah, so finding an outlet is, is, is super important. So. Uh, these GPs would say, like, you know, I, I found this thing, and, and what's really great is we're kind of building a better uh, access for GPs to be able to prescribe it, which is basically moving through the systems that they use. But the point being is they could say, okay, like, literally print off, like, try this. You know, let's try it for a week, a month, come back to me, tell me how you feel. And so you've got some funding or some support from the National Health Service, mm -hmm, yeah? Mm -hmm. And how are you going to go forward with this? Yeah, well, the interesting thing is um, right now, Cove is basically something that sits in your phone and you can use by yourself. But what we've learned as we're growing, so again, we're designers and our design process is, is constantly iterative. You know, we're always improving, improving and seeing like how we can actually uh, be more effective. And one of the things that we've learned in this phase of work is that, okay, so music therapy is, is a very interesting field. The most powerful music therapy is when you have two people or more doing it together. 
and we have that kind of combined emotional resonance and you have the sort of the, the sense of communal kind of activity and that's our focus next is like how can we have people giving themselves peer-to-peer support you know to actually be able to make music together and, and use that as a as a, as a healing uh, environment so our next stage is to see how we can do that and build in the types of um, measurements and outcomes that clinical services can then use as well because they're 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 crying out for ways to kind of help people in ways that are useful for them and, and, and appropriate for them so it's, it's again trying to make something that works for the services but first and foremost helps the people that need the help so I will, if I wanted to have a look at Cove how do I access it yeah I mean it's free yeah. uh, it's on uh, the iOS app store right. um, it's coming to Android hopefully next year but um, C-O-V-E yeah it's, it's, you can download it today Fantastic. We will have a look at that. And uh, thanks so much for, for spending time with me today. Thank you. Bringing to life conversations on life's only inevitability. We are dying to tell on Joy 94.9. This next interview with Dr. Dawn Gross provides a glimpse into Death Ed, a course that she and Dr. Jessica Zitter created for teens. And if you've been listening to this series from the start, you will have heard Jessica in episode two talk in detail about death ed. Um, if you haven't listened to it, go back and have a listen um, because she also talks about her Academy Award nominated documentary, Extremis. Dr. Dawn Gross is a specialist in hematology, hospice and palliative care medicine and a champion of interdisciplinary collaboration. She's also the creator and host of Dying to Talk, a radio program dedicated to transforming the taboo around death. We pick up the interview as Dawn is talking about the success of Death Ed and how Go Wish, a card game, can help initiate important conversations. We did an exit survey and, and asked a bunch of questions, you know, the most basic of which, are you glad you took Death Ed? And again, the vast majority said, yes, we're glad we did. And there were some who said, yeah, I could take it or leave it. They were indifferent. And there were a few who said it was too sad. Now, what we didn't try to correlate, though, is, you know, what was someone's knowledge base going in and how does that connect with their reaction? What was clear is that a lot of the students have a significant personal experience as they were openly sharing with us, more than we expected. And I have to say, in, in one of the slides that another presenter from yesterday shared, I think it was Ivor, yes. you know, that one, one in nine, yeah. right, yeah. of students have lost a parent. parent. I know. It's extraordinary, it's isn't it? It's extraordinary It's number. extraordinary. Um, and so I think just giving that space is a pretty shocking thing when it's otherwise been so completely shut down. We don't talk about this. Teachers don't talk about it. Schools don't talk about it. But kids talk about it. It's interesting. You know, at the end of um, my daughter's junior school, they did a film of all the kids and they were talking about what they wish for in the future. And so many of them said, I wish that my grandmother was still alive. I wish that, you know, my... And it, there was so much death as part of their conversation. And I was thinking, where is this coming from? But it's, it's there. It's amongst us all. It is. And with older parents, there's older grandparents. So, it, you no know... No question. Again, we, we know... We need to talk about it. It's, yeah. it's present. I think what was surprising, particularly as we were speaking with, I think it was four or five students after watching the full, full version of Extremis um, after one classroom, 
they were clearly a connected group of students. They knew each other well. They chose to spend time together after school, like they were sharing that part. And even then, as they were began sharing their experience of extremists and started to, on their own, share their own details of their personal experience with loss, here, their very close friends were even saying, I had no idea. I didn't know that happened to you. I didn't know that was happening. So while we can say things to some extent openly, there's still a culture of there are certain things we keep to ourselves. And I think by practicing, and that's ultimately what day two was, is practicing how do we find the words and how do we practice letting them come out of our mouths and having them be heard, we start to discover we can do this. Not only can we do it, there's actually something good that happens as a result of it. And that's the most exciting part for us. And Dawn, do you think that sometimes you need to give, I know we need to give people permission and a, and a safe space, but what about a script? Do you think that sometimes you need to suggest some words that young people can use or that any people can use? Right. I mean, I know people come to me and say, what do I do? What do I say? You know, and it's very easy for me to be prescriptive around right. that. What do you think about that? So I do think giving guidelines, giving examples, yeah. and then also saying you will find your own words try these try this see how that feels it, as long as you keep practicing like anything mm -hmm. then you find your way whether it's baseball or playing an instrument right you learn the notes you learn where the field is and how the game works you learn the rules and then ultimately you devise your own swing or you devise your own melody so so Giving them a roadmap, if you will, mm -hmm. and a safe place to start practicing, I think is critical while at the same time naming up front, and then this will become yours, your own, the mm -hmm. more you do it. So we use a tool that does that, that gives them language, gives them words, this deck of cards called Go Wish. Yes. So it literally has phrases that may not be the natural phrase for anyone. This is not you know a word that would come out of my mouth. And it, for example, one card clearly does not speak for any of the teens uh, that we were teaching because in every single classroom they'd raise their hand saying what does this mean they just didn't literally know the words what was the, the word card. it was like condolence it or was, something like that it was to have a chaplain or clergy with me and they uh, didn't know either of those okay, words right. what's a chaplain yeah. what's clergy yeah, these yeah. are just not words yes. they use while there were plenty of people in there who absolutely were spiritual and religious yes. and they had their language it's a priest or rabbi or whatever it they might be their that faith. language yeah. so so while there are some words we just don't know and we need to change, there are other words that we're not used to saying or not used to thinking about in this way. So one of the cards, um, for example, that we used in our demonstration yesterday was a phrase saying, to be kept clean. Now, there were actually many teens where this was a highly important card yeah. for them, which was fascinating because I look at my own teens and... I think of all the things that are important to them, yeah, my daughter is pretty fastidious about certain things. My teenage son maybe less so. Um, but I wouldn't have necessarily thought that this card would come to the top compared to other things. But this one, and not being a burden to my family, which was also surprising to me as a teen because I think teens often are aloof and yeah. unaware. And, and, and selfish. And yeah, selfish, and we always right? complain about the how world selfish it is. revolves around yeah. them and they have no yeah. problem with that concept. Um, that this card, in fact, came up 
an awful lot for, for the teams. What we did as we were playing this game is we, there are 36 cards in the deck and we actually asked the students to pick out their top three of the 36, the ones that were most important to them. And then we also asked them to pick out their least important two. Mm -hmm. We were just curious to mm -hmm. see if there were some trends. We have a pretty diverse population in the Bay Area, so we were getting uh, different you know, socioeconomic as well as religious as well as cultural backgrounds. And the same types of things kept showing up as being important and unimportant equally. Now what was interesting is that every single card except for one ultimately showed up by at least one student as either the most important or the least important. And what was that card? The one card that never showed up, so never polarized, it gave a reaction either way, was to have a nurse that cared about, you know, that, that really could take care of me. They, the teens didn't care about Isn't that. Isn't that interesting because as, a, as an adult and having had children and knowing how important that midwife was to me yeah. during those hours, I would be like, give me the nurse. Yeah. You know? And I remember sharing that with my husband who's a physician and he said, well, that's just because they've never experienced illness. And I said, yeah. that's actually not true no. because plenty, as I said, openly shared quite serious illnesses where they've been in the hospital. They openly offered this information. So they've clearly been in contact with nurses, but it wasn't an important enough experience compared to other things that they wanted to prioritize or deprioritize. And they've had parents who've probably been active yeah. in their care giving too. So so it was it, it remains just shocking and inspiring to me how they all play. They all dive in. The room gets very loud. We divide them up into pairs or threes or what have you. And the minute we give them the instructions and we give each of them the stack of cards, tell them to sort it out to get those top cards and then start sharing and we demonstrate you know, it's about asking questions. It's not just looking at the cards and going, oh, that's interesting, we have the same cards or we don't. But it's really starting to get underneath it. What does that card really mean to you? So for example, the card that Jessica shared yesterday to be kept clean, you know, my job was to, to really learn, well, what does that really mean and look like mm -hmm. to you? How could I support you in that? And so she described, you know, keep me smelling good because mm -hmm. I want my family to be around me and I want my hair to feel good. The first time I played this game, when I was taught it, I was playing with my brother. And we were actually instructed, since we knew each other as family members, or so we think, we were instructed to sort the cards for the other person, the way we think ah, they would do it. Interesting, yeah. So I'm like, no problem. I know my brother better than anyone. I got this. And we actually sorted out the top 10 cards, and we're supposed to put them in order of the most to least important, but of all important cards. And I didn't get his number one card in the top 10. That was when I realized the power of this tool. His top card at that time was to be kept clean. Now, I know my brother loves to look nice and is very particular with the aesthetics of his home and, and his surroundings, but it hadn't occurred to me that in imagining a time of his death, this would be the number one thing. Now, importantly, as I've played this game more and more, it's clear that this isn't just about end of life. This is very much about what matters throughout your uh, life. Yeah. So when I've used these cards to play with patients subsequently to help really hone in on what matters to them because we lose that in the hospital. We focus, So you do play oh, this with your patients? Absolutely. Fantastic. And, and none of the cards talk about, t tell me my lab values, just to be clear. Yeah, yeah. Um, one time, not that long ago, as I was flipping through the deck with a patient and just noticing her reaction, because they can be quite sick, they don't have the energy, but I just noticed her nodding her head. And we got to the, to 
be kept clean card. And she vigorously nodded her head. And I then asked her, thinking in my mind, oh, well, now that my brother's taught me what that means and Jessica's taught me what that means, I think I know what this means. But the key to this game is to play it like a five-year-old, which is you have no idea what it means, and your job is to be curious and ask why, what. So I asked her, how could I support you in being kept clean? And she said, keep me away from drugs. Ah, yes, yes. sober, yes. So never assume. Wow. And so the beauty is, is always go underneath yes. the words. Find Ask. out what it really, really means. Ask the question. And when I say, when I played with my brother the first time, his number one card at the time was to be kept clean. It was at the time. You keep playing. Life changes. Life's dynamic. Your cards change. So my husband and I actually play this game every year on our anniversary. Wow. Because life changes. And my children and I have played. Um, this is now part of our conversation. Even though we literally can take out the cards and sit down and play, we also do it all the time. So I'll have an experience, whether it's taking care of patients or just being out in the world or hearing music and something, and I'll just come home and I say, guys, 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 you need to know this. This is important to me. So my favorite card, which is what I always share with patients when I introduce the game and invite them to play, give them the instructions and I say, I'll share my favorite card with you if you share yours after you play. I try to level the playing field quite literally, saying this isn't about you being sick and me being your doctor. This is about us being human beings. And this is about what makes our life worth living today. Somehow when we put it in the context of death, we get much clearer on what those priorities are, as you heard all day yesterday. So my favorite card is the wild card. There's a wild card in the deck because who knows what hasn't already been communicated in just 35 cards. 35 cards can't possibly express everything that's possible in the world to be important to someone. Mm. So I immediately gravitated to the wild card. Now, most adults really struggle when they play this game. They come up to the wild card, they have no idea what it is, and they set it aside. When we play with young people, they instantly know what it is, and they all pretty much gravitate toward it. Mm. My wild card just keeps getting piled onto all the things it means. Most recently, it came to mean I love purring cats. When I'm dying, we heard in Yoko Sen's presentation, what's the last mm. sound you wish to hear? Not only do I want to hear a purring cat, I need to feel it right here on my chest. Now the beautiful thing is when I can share that with my family, which I have, as well as many other people, when I come home and maybe I've had a rough day, my son can just sort of see it on my face, he goes and gets her cat and just says, Mom, I think you need this right now. I'm not dying, I don't no. think so. No. But did it make my day better? Yeah. In that moment, you better believe. And that's really what this is about, is when we can start to get that specific, then these things can start showing up right now. And the people around us who have the power to do that, who want to do that, we all want to contribute to make people feel happy. This is, this, there's no greater thing when we know we've done that. Mm. When we get to be that specific and then someone can do that, hand me a purring cat, mm. it's a win, win, mm. win. I think the cat's happy too. So <laughs> this is why I love this game. You can't get me not to play it because it really helps us instantly get at what matters most. 
lying to rest the cliches and platitudes and bringing to life conversations on death and dying. We are Dying to Tell on Joy 94.9. So last week I picked up my daughter Addie from school and we were on the way to the dentist and she was feeling stressed and anxious like all of us do when we're on our way to the dentist. And she just happened to pick up my phone and she found the Cove app and she was asking me what it was and I said, well, you have a look. Now, I've brought Addie into the studio so she can explain what she found on Cove. So I tapped on Cove and it came up with this big home screen and it had a button saying create new Cove. So I pressed on it and it came up with how do you feel just now? And it has all these emotions and I pressed scared sad excited at the same time oh so you can press more than one yeah oh awesome i felt upset a bit because last time i went to the dentist it wasn't a good experience (laughs) and so what do you do next you press the next button and then you can scroll in any direction and it comes up with all these colors and like a tune for the base of the cove and say if you're angry you choose the red then you press next and it comes up with bass. And then you can press basses all around the place. So it has like bass organ, bass, windy synth bass and so yeah. on. So is so it on. creating like a, a music kind of thing? Yeah. Oh, cool. And what next? Where do you go from there? Then you press the melody and you can put like different melodies around the place. So there's bell, there's chimes, there's, there's wind and bells and from there then you press the percussion and then there's jazz drums there's electric drums there's bass drums and there's more drums then you press next so what you're doing effectively is building a piece of music based on how you're feeling yeah okay and so Addie, maybe you can tell us how you felt having done that last week. Uh, and you were playing with it probably for about 10 minutes. And by the time we got into the city, how, how did you feel? Well, I felt less stressed and I felt less scared because I just like tapping around and playing with things. And did you like the music you were hearing? Yeah. So you can probably hear a little bit of it in the background yeah. now, but we will back we will play a little bit to, yeah. to, to close the uh, this this segment out because it's really interesting the music that you can create and I think this is a really wonderful tool for young people. Would, would you recommend it, Addie? Yes. Would you use it if you were happy to try and create a song, or do you reckon it was better when you were feeling a bit nervous about going to the dentist and you can, unsure? You can feel it. You can make a song when you're happy, but I find it's easier when you're stressed and. Is it like a nice distraction kind yeah. of thing to preoccupy your mind? And once you've got this music, you can then share it with your friends, can't cool. you? Yeah. You give it a title, then you add some thoughts about it. You add a location if you want, and then you press save, and then you press share. And awesome. then you can keep it in your library and you can go back and revisit the music that you've created, and it's kind of a little library of your feelings, isn't it? Yeah. That's really cool. Thanks, That's Addie. super cool. Thank you, Addie. No problem. I was really fortunate to get time with both Dawn and Ivor when I was in San Francisco. Ivor was doing a really quick turnaround from London 
Um, and Dawn invited me into her beautiful home, so generously giving up her busy Friday, well, part of her busy Friday, and introducing me to her two gorgeous dogs. So I'd really like to thank both Ivor and Dawn for their time um, and for being so open with me and um, giving me the opportunity to, to ask them some more questions from what I'd learnt on, um, from the Thursday Symposium. If you are interested in Endwell, the website is endwellproject.org and their conference will be on December the 6th, again in San Francisco. GoWish can be purchased online at gowish.org and Cove can be accessed through iTunes. And I have to admit that since downloading Cove, I have become a little bit hooked. It is a great tool even if you only use it to pull yourself out of a bad mood, which is what I've been doing over the last few days. Next time on Dying to Tell, we are asking, do funerals matter? Well, do they? If you're dying to know, then we're dying to tell. On Joy 94.9. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.